morning, everybody. I don't have my tea up here, so there will be no interruptions this morning. Should be should be a relatively easy morning. That being said, you know, pride comes before a fall, so I'll be careful. Hey, let's start with words of encouragement. We got a whole bunch of them this morning, and I'm sure for all sorts of great reasons. Scott Kirkpatrick, awesome message today. Your illustrations of God's awesome power and provision in our lives, doing the impossible for us in that which we could not do was great. So awesome job. Get up for Scott Kirkpatrick. If you missed that one, you need to go listen to it. Andrew Warren, I am thankful for your initiative and willing to do all the hard lifting in moving our chairs from the basement to the assembly hall so I didn't have to. So let's give it up. Where did he go? Andrew's around here somewhere. All right, there you go, Andrew, right there. Sorry you missed that great announcement. And uh, how's your back doing? All right. Thank you, Lars and Angie. Uh, Angie, for your amazing plants they're, and their creative, cool planters. Did someone buy the, the, the school bus one? Oh, good. Okay. I was going to say, if it's still available, I'm going to grab it. Uh, thanks, Lars, for the muscle and tearing down and cleaning up the old assembly hall. That was great. Oh, I can turn the mic on. Okay. Uh, uh, Mrs. Frey, you are an amazing encouragement and blessing. It was great to see your smiling face at the bazaar. Your sunshiny attitude lights up the room. Amen. That's a good one. Let's give it up for Angie. Woohoo! So I hope the McKinney clan is watching this morning. Uh, to the McKinney clan, uh, to Brad and Melinda for all the amazing creations for the pumplin as I now guess it's supposed to be called, the Pumpless Spice Holiday Bazaar. Uh, to Brad for sacrificing his body for the setup and teardown. Sorry, I thought you were going to die there a couple times. Uh, Nicole and Eli for all your help in setting up and cleaning up. They were carrying those, those uh, chairs upstairs too. That was pretty awesome. So, Emma and Elijah, you two did an outstanding job running, running the pumpkin, pumplin, pumpkin walk. Uh, thank you both so much for prepping and making it a lot of fun. That was great. I love to I love to see all the older people come out and they get all they get them weird over there. It's kind of cool. All right. <laughs> there are two dog houses at our place. Hey, Mr. D, I like how you get up and speak God's word, Braxton. There you go. Uh, this year's pumpkin, he's, you know what? Ty spelled it right. I didn't, but uh, Ty did. This year's pumpkin spice bazaar was awesome. Good job, Ty. You had some help. Yeah, you did. Emma, thank you for being a kind, gentle, sparkling gym. Uh, you give the best hugs. And so, there you go. Emma's coming back here. Andrew! I think Andrew Compton. Yes, Andrew Compton, your smile and your piano playing is such an awesome way to start our day. You're such a blessing. I'm so glad you are back home. Amen to that one. And that you always do great song. song uh, there you are. Back there over by Heater. Thank you. Bill, you are a great example. Thank you for being you. All right, I'll try harder to be me. Uh... <laughs> 
Emma, week after week, you jump up happy and hand out cards for prayer and notes of encouragement and even write more notes than probably all of us, I would say, put together. Thank you very much. Keep up the great work. That's good. Every, <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Uh, this one's for everyone, everyone who helped with the pumpkin spice holiday bazaar, whether behind the scenes or out front. Thank you. You have a... We have a successful fundraiser because of you. Amen. Amen. So I want to give it up for everybody who did anything for the Pumpkin Spice Holiday Bazaar. That was awesome. Now we made $3,200. 100% of that goes to the kids in Belarus, but we can make more because there's still goodies out there. And so if you want to go out, I think the plants are five. Is that right? If somebody wants to buy a plant for $100, we're happy about that, okay? <laughs> so uh, uh, anyway, so the plants are five bucks. The other ones have little uh, price tags on them. And if you weren't here, but you'd like to see some of the really cool stuff that was actually made, except for the bus with the plants in it, uh, we have a bunch of the stuff back in the back room on display. So if you are so inclined to check it out, and if you missed it, or you thought, oh, I forgot to get that, we might have one of those that's back there. So uh, maybe we can get to four grand, you know, $800, no problem. You know, that's why plants for $100, we can make it quick, because there's more than eight plants out there. That'd be great. Okay. All right. Let's see. What else do we need to talk about? Uh, I think we have to sing to Max. Max, where are you? Stand up, Max. Stand up. All right. Stand up. No, I just kidding. Uh, Max is seven years old, right? Did we sing to you? I don't think we sang to you yet. We haven't sang to you. Okay. He turned seven on Saturday. What's he, he? He was not out. Oh, you were out here, weren't you? Were you out here for a while? You were. Yeah, yeah. He was out here. Okay. Oh, it's oh, it Friday that his birthday was. Okay. So anyway, we're going to sing Max Happy Birthday because we missed that. And Carly Girl, Carly Warren now. I keep forgetting that. Carly Warren. And uh, you are not seven. You are? Andrew, we need to talk afterwards. Okay. So uh, happy birthday. Anybody else have a birthday this coming up week? Anybody else? All right. Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Woo-hoo! All right. Well, now, I, I know that, Andrew, you are the right one for Carly because whenever I talk about you, she's got this big, gigantic grin on her face, and it's just well, her eyes light up. And so, so thankful for you being here today. It's great. Uh, a couple of announcements, other announcements. Uh, Sunday nights are at your place, right? And uh, also two Wednesdays at your place, right? So this month, month of November, Kirkpatrick's home is, we're going to be invading there on Sunday nights and Wednesday evenings. Uh, ladies' Day is on this week. Uh, College Day Bible Study is on this week. And uh, anything else I might have missed that's special coming up? Any other meetings? Nope. Okay. All right. Very, very good. I don't know about you, but uh, for all that got were involved in the Pumpkin Spice Holiday Bazaar, as much as awesome as it was, I'm glad it's over. And uh, I'm just tired. But uh, thank you so much for all that 
everybody that did so much to help out. It was great. All right, we got lots of wood to split now, bottles to sort. We're on. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of James and chapter 5. James chapter 5. We are now transitioning from the passage in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, talking about the specifics on how to prepare ourselves to endure. As you recall, we need to look back to all those who've, who've gone on before us, who endured such hostility against themselves by sinners, and yet still made it through to the end. Their last breath, they remained faithful. That's verse 1. Now, verse 2 talks about laying aside the things that can so easily entangle us. Remember what we looked at? We talked about the riches in this life, the passing pleasures, and also two worries and anxieties. Those, those things can actually you know, really entangle you and keep you from really excelling. You know, when you're worrying about all the crazy things that are going on, it's really hard to have the energy to focus on what God has called us to be and do. And as you recall, we also talked about the sin which so easily entangles. And it really can tangle you up and shut you down from serving the Lord and enduring in those difficult times. And finally, we talked about looking to Jesus, really the one who set the course for our lives and lived it successfully without sin and, and overcame and helped us become Christians. And so now we're, we're turning our attention to the book of James and chapter 5. And we're going to use this as an introductory passage. Notice the title of the lesson this morning. The exhortation to endure until the end. In fact, twice in this passage, it talks about enduring until the coming of Jesus. And you know, when this was written, obviously the coming of Jesus was still a ways away. But I got a feeling it might be closer than we think. It might just be right around the corner. I mean, things, if you look at the scriptures, the way they're set up, you know, we talk about the Tower of Babel, when everybody had the same language, and they were building a tower to heaven, and they were exalting themselves. Back then, all the nations or tribes of the world were working together to build this great monolithic empire. Well, the United Nations now has brought all nations underneath its wing, and now it dictates, basically from wherever they dictate, I believe it's over in Belgium, all that goes on. And so it's important for us to recognize that up until 1946, when the United Nations was established, there was not an institution like the Tower of Babel and that empire that was growing that had brought all the nations of the world together under one flag, under one constitution. And, but now we have that. The scripture talks about that. Jesus said, you won't know the day or the hour. We don't know the day or the hour. Any of those kooks that talk about, well, on September, and you know there was a kook that did that three times. You'd think that finally he figured it after, after three times. I guess maybe I ought to read my Bible. No one knows the day or the hour. The Lord Jesus is going to come back. But Jesus said, you know the season. You know the season. And I think the scriptures are teaching us that this season seems to be drawing near. So maybe this scripture really is for us. 
Maybe this now is that Jesus is so near that we will get to see him when he comes. I've all, you've heard me say this. So those of you who have been here for many years, you know, I've heard me say this. I would love to be here when Jesus comes back. Be awesome. But the more I read about what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back, I'm saying, man, you know what? Some of those folks that have gone on to glory, <laughs> they made it. Yes. And so uh, it's okay. Whichever way the Lord has it planned, let's be faithful unto the end. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's read the scripture, pray, and then jump right in. Verse 7, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Now the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, or you also be patient, strengthening your hearts for the coming of the, uh, excuse me, uh, being, you too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Let's pray. Father, however many years I've been reading the Bible and however many times I've read this passage of Scripture and doing the expository study to prepare for this morning, it's amazing how much I didn't know. I'm glad I didn't preach on it before. It's, it's awesome to realize that your desire is that our hearts would be in such a state of anticipation that we had worked diligently to be the men and women that you've called us to be, prepared for your coming. And a part of that preparation is actually strengthening in our hearts, strengthening our relationships with one another, and realizing just the, how awesome the reward is for those who remain faithful until the last day. Lord, this morning I pray as we introduce this next series in regards to looking at, at several examples of men and women who endured hardship and powered through until the end, both in the Old and New Testaments, Father, as we finish this uh, annual theme. I pray that we would see, dear Lord God in heaven, that there is a common theme in each of their lives. As we finish the lesson today, we'll ask the question, how did they do it? How did they endure all of this terrible hardship? And they did it with a great attitude and they powered through and they won the day. Father, I want to know how and I want to look and see how they did it. And I want to continue to find the commonalities from all of these faithful men and women. And I pray that as we work through these things, that we would make a decision that we're going to follow in their example, follow in their footsteps as they followed your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, amen. We'll look at point number one this morning. What's the context for James, the brother of Jesus, the elder in the church at Jerusalem, to write this passage about, and three times I find, as I was reading through it, because the judge is, of course, Jesus, and he's going to come, you know, what was the motivation for him to write this? 
Well, the people at this time in Jerusalem were just, just fat and happy. Man, we got it all. Everything's going our way. And you know, that reminds me, and you've know, heard me say this before recently in a Bible class uh, lesson, that I think the United States, the Americans, are just fat and happy. You know, none of that stuff could ever happen to us because we're Americans and we're exceptional. And we're, well, I would say, yes, we're exceptional. But the reality is we were exceptional because our founding fathers were God-fearing men and women who believed the Bible was the word of God and lived their lives according to the biblical standard, principles and ethics. Now, whether they were Christians or not, people can debate all day long. But the fact that they used the Bible as the standard for their lives and as they built this nation is indisputable. And if you want to dispute about it, I got book, chapter, and verse, and I got lots of organic documents at home that speak of their faith in letters that they wrote to others, letters that they wrote to people in other countries. I have those letters. If you want to see them, they're awesome. The statements of their great faith. Now, we were exceptional. The church has always been and must remain exceptional. That's what changes the face of a nation. The church is to be the salt and the light, not fat and happy, ready for the slaughter. But I have to tell you, that's what's spoken of here. Let's take a look in the earlier verses of chapter 5. Notice James is very concerned that the Christian population in Jerusalem, they've just become so just worldly and into the stuff that this world has to offer. So I'm just saying, be careful, Christian, to make sure you put your priorities and your focus in the right place. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Now, that's a... That's not a good thing, by the way, that statement there as you're about to see, because the treasure they stored up was the wrong kind. But I'll get there in a moment. Verse four, behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which have been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. You're saying, well, that does not sound like, that's not me. I never done that. Well, if you break it down and look at the principles, I am guilty of that. So I'm sitting, as you heard me say before, I'm sitting in the hospital looking out the window. You know, I had COVID and I was in the hospital. Thinking about all the junk I had that my family would have to ferret through. And I had several of the same kind of junk. I mean, I just didn't have one kind of junk. I had lots of different kinds of the same junk. So I'm thinking to myself, what did I do to my family? They have to go through all my junk. Maybe I should, when I get out of here, go through my junk and get rid of a lot of my junk. 
I am going to clean my shop out, and if someone doesn't grab it, I'm burning it. I was telling, or thank you, Ryan, by the way, he's already started this great and wonderful feat. He's been cleaning out his stuff, and he's been very careful to put it in a safe place. I said, this is a safe zone. Anything in this zone is safe. I will not burn it, throw it away, or sell it. Okay. I am on a mission to get rid of my junk so my family doesn't have to. Why do we have so much stuff? Well, how? why do we spend so much time and money? Well, it's because, as Americans, I want it now my way. Well, you know, it's not working out so good like that anymore. But the reality is, is that when Sharon and I just recently got done with our living trust, everything goes into that trust, and that's such a biblical principle. If we buy another car, the car is going to be owned by the trust, not Sharon and I. Now, who do we put our trust in? You see, it's interesting, if you look at the scriptures, the Bible clearly teaches that your stuff is not your stuff. Your stuff, God has given to you on loan. Manage it well, enjoy it much, but it's not your stuff. When you die, you don't get to take it with you. Somebody else gets your stuff. The stuff is to be managed well. I love the scripture that says, a righteous man cares for his beasts. When I can't fix my car or truck, it drives me nuts because a righteous man cares for his beasts. Okay? My point is this is that as Americans, we have more stuff than we know what to do with. We have a multiple of a lot of things that we don't ever use. We are these people, and you say, well, I have never slighted anybody with paying them what they're worth, and I've never held back. Well, maybe think a little bit deeper about that. Think a little deeper about that. What does God's word say? about sharing with those in need. When you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, it says. Just, I want you to think about that because we can easily say, this does not apply to me. And yet, if we think about it a little bit deeper, selfishness is the driver in verses one through six. Selfishness is the driver. And so it's important for us to recognize when self comes out, then Verses 7 through 11 are going to be very difficult for us because our priorities are on self and not on the Lord. I'm glad you're here this morning. You made this morning and this time of the morning a time to come and work together, grow together, remember the sacrifice, and learn something new, I hope. I would ask you to continue continue when it says come now you are rich weep and wail first timothy chapter 6 verses 17 through 19 is in your lesson i would hope that you would look at it later didn't jesus say something about do not store your treasure where moth and rust can destroy it and jesus say that his younger brother james is just quoting his big brother jesus here basically and so we need to recognize and understand how important this is. I don't want to be howling and wailing in the lake of fire because I put my stuff as more important than Jesus. And they say, I don't, I don't necessarily see you as preaching these kinds of sermons, Bill. 
Well, I don't usually preach these kind of sermons. But how many of you know a guy named Grandpa Penny I talk about all the time? You know, Grandpa Penny lost his sight and started to lose his health. And he would come up and preach even though he couldn't see and preach. Some of the most fiery sermons that were pointed and yet powerful and yet compassionate, he preached at the end of his life. Because he realized, I don't have much time left. And I want people to know that they got to get rid of the junk. They got to purge the junk out of their lives that's stealing their hearts for Jesus. That's what this point's about. But when we go into the second point, we have to realize that we're doing it so that we can endure. Look at point number two, the exhortation to endure until the end. And notice it says uh, there in this passage of scripture, verse seven, therefore be patient, brethren. That's an amazing word, until the coming of the Lord. What does it, what does it mean to be patient? It means that we need to persevere, be steadfast, forbearing in insults and offenses, both by those in the church and those outside the church. <gasps> you mean people in the church could be insulting? You mean the people in the church could be offensive? Yep. Yep. And you're going to see why, because the Lord says, strengthen your hearts and don't complain about each other. We'll get there in just a moment. I don't want to jump ahead. So it's important for us to recognize and understand, brethren, it means to persevere, be steadfast. Well, I'm never going to church again because those people are a bunch of hypocrites. You ever heard that one before? How many times? I've heard it so many times before, I can't have lost count. And you know what I say to those folks? Yep, there are hypocrites that go to church buildings. I agree. But are you going to the church building to hang out with people or are you going to the church building to listen to the word of God preached? If you're going there to hang out with people, guess what? They're always going to let you down. But you go to the church building to listen to the word preached and hopefully you go where the word is preached. You're going to be encouraged by the word. It's the word of Christ Jesus. If you're going to hang out with the people of social life, you're always going to be let down. But if you go there to learn and understand what it means to be a Christian, to grow, great. Oh, by the way, don't be one of those hypocrites if you go to a church building to learn. In other words, go to encourage and build up and strengthen, not complain. Oh, I'm not jumping ahead. So I love this word patient because it says, don't grow weary, don't give up. That's a part of the definition. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. You're saying, that's kind of hard to do sometimes. Well, even if you grow, grow weary, don't give up. Because that's what the devil wants. Notice it says, farmers are a great example. How many of you have ever farmed as a career? How many of you have been intimately uh, acquainted with a, a man or a woman who farmed for a career. Anybody? I have. All right. When I was younger, I met a young lady and, and uh, we dated for several years. Her father, Ron Rohde, was uh, a farmer that farmed weed and all sorts of other things uh, up near Amity, Oregon. 
And uh, as I spent time with that family, and I spent quite a bit of time with that family, that man never rested. And you know, his job actually killed him, I think. And the reason being is, is that you're dependent on that which is not consistently dependable. You can't depend on the early and late rains. You can't depend on the conditions to work out so that you're going to have an amazing yield. You can't force the markets to give you the money that, that you spent to get the crops in. That man worked night and day, seven days a week. He took Christmas off. I know that for a fact, but not the whole Christmas day. As soon as we were done with Christmas dinner, he was out working on his, his equipment to make sure that his equipment was ready for the next season. See, that guy never stopped. I met his son out here uh, about two years ago, my son Jake, and talked with, with uh, his son Joel. His dad passed away. Joel's now working the, the farm. Can you imagine working and not being sure of the end result. Enduring, persevering, forbearing. When things don't go right, trials and troubles, you still got to move forward because you got to feed your family. You see, that's a great example. But you know what? We have a sure end result. Farmers don't. We do. You persevere. You forbear. You struggle through the insults and the offenses and you don't give up because of the hypocrites because you're focused on Jesus and his word and you will receive the prize. Don't give up, brethren. Be patient. That word patient doesn't mean, okay, whatever, I'll just wait around until something happens. That's not what this means. And by the way, this word patience is used three times. Three times. There must be an emphasis here on patience. I have down here, patience cubed. Three times he uses it. Farmers are the example. And then it says, you also, look at that passage of scripture there, verse eight. You too, you also, be patient. You endure, strengthen your hearts. Look at number one there, I have in your lesson plan. Strengthen your hearts. You know what it means to strengthen your heart? This is called cardiovascular for the spirit and the soul. Strengthen your heart. You need to be resolved when the going gets rough, and it will, that you're not going to quit. You're going to have the right mindset. You're going to have the right attitude, and you're going to push through and don't give up. How many times? You know what? I, I One of my sons told me not too long ago. He says, you know what? These challenges I'm facing right now, if I quit, I'll develop a bad habit of quitting. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to finish what I started. Man, I'm glad he said that. You know the old saying, and I've said it a million times, it really is true. Quitters never win, and winners never quit. And if you quit, it's going to make it easier to quit the next time. Easier to quit the next time. But when you have troubles and you say, I'm going to make it through this, regardless of the outcome, I'm going to power through to the end, Oftentimes the outcome is great and you have developed a very important habit. 
of pushing through. That's what this is really talking about here. You also strengthen your hearts to be resolute, to set fast, immovable, to fulfill a purpose or a goal. Is that who you are? Or do you give up? You know, uh, our brother, Mr. Halstead, comes in with a big grin on his face. Hey, you finally did it. <laughs> right, Alton? <laughs> And he's asking me all the particulars, you know, what it measures and stuff like that. And you know, I'm still kind of new at this stuff, even though I've been around a while. How, have you measured how many, what is it called? The, what do you call it? The scale? Score. score. The score. It tells you I'm still working on it. How do you do that? Well, he goes, well, you just get online and tell you how to do it and all that stuff. And, and you know, the score is, is I, I hike 2,500 feet elevation had to walk down a big ravine and up a big ravine and cross a million logs and get stabbed and stubbed and all that other stuff in the process. And my son Jake carried out probably 60, 70 pounds of meat. It was a monster of a deer. And uh, I got to carry out the, the antlers with the head on it. And you're thinking, well, that's not very much. Do those things to the Cape weigh a lot? I mean, and here I am walking... And we're talking every tree was grabbing me, or the antlers were grabbing the tree, I don't know. And I was falling down, and we're going down. I'll tell you, why are you laughing? You've done this before, I can tell. <laughs> that boy over there, yep, me too. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And you're not an old man, you're a young buck. I'm 63, man. I'm just like, I get down to the bottom of the ravine with this dumb, dead deer head, and I'm looking up going, Oh, man. <laughs> what did I do? Okay. What did I do? But you know, when I pulled that trigger, it was all glory. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I went, <laughs> what did I do? Then I was down on the bottom of the pit. You know, what did I do? And uh, Jake, bless his heart, was right behind me and he had his hand up most of the time. And I'd get up there, I'd be grabbing. I got my arm here, and I'm going backwards, grabbing for bushes, and Sam's there. <laughs> Thank goodness. Does that happen to you too? Okay, wow. Holton and I were kindred spirits. I'll tell you what, that hill that I went down was steep, but somehow it got steeper before I had to go back up it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then I get back up on the road, and I'm telling you what, my knees were all shot. You know, my knees were shot before I started, but they're worse. And every step. But I resolved, I'm not quitting. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. And you're saying, well, you didn't have a choice. Oh, I had lots of choices. You know? There's a lot of places I could have just sat down and said, okay, you carry that down, put it in the Jeep, get back up here, carry the head down, and then get back up here and carry your old dad down. And I could have done that. <laughs> now, whether it was Jake or... Or Ryan or Andrew, I'm sure they would have accommodated me. Maybe a little bit begrudgingly, but they would have done it. But I'm resolved. I'm going to get it done. That's tough stuff, man. I have to tell you, it was hard. Now, I could have been complaining about that. Sometimes, like we complain about a brother or sister in Christ that isn't pulling their share, doing their share. I mean, you could do that. Here's what that word means, complain. To groan or murmur against another 
under your breath. That's what, I mean, look it up. Do not complain against a brother. What does it say? Why don't you want to do that? It says, do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at, right at the door. <laughs> He's listening. Can you imagine? Have you ever had somebody listen to you? You know, through a door or something? Man, that's terrible. Okay. But don't be what? Don't be groaning and moaning and murmuring against a brother, uh, you know, under your breath. Sometimes people do it not under their breath, but to other people. That's even worse. That's called malicious gossip. You don't want to do that one either. Right. You know who you need to be concerned about making the grade? Who do you need to be concerned about? Holton, help me out here. Who do you need to be concerned about making the grade? Me or you? Yeah, yourself. Absolutely. Now, you can come alongside and help me. If you want to grumble and murmur, please do it to my face so at least I know what I need to fix. But don't do it otherwise, because that gives you a bad attitude towards that brother or sister, right? And that kind of separates you from them in your mind. And if you share it with others, that even makes the separation worse. So don't do that. Why? Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. That's why. Did I write that down for you in your notes? I don't know. Did I? Romans 2 and verse 1. I didn't. You should write it down. I'm serious. Write Romans 2, chapter 2 and verse 1 down. Okay? That'll help you out a lot. Oh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 will help you too. All right? Well, so what should we do? We should follow the example, strengthen our hearts, do not complain. Now, finally, finally look at point number three. Look to the great examples of endurance. When you look at people that have done it before, you know that you can do it too. Uh, we were talking about a guy named Josh Pritchett, one of my former marketing students many years ago. I started teaching at Willamette High School, and I was told that I was inheriting a disaster, and they were right. Nine or $3,000 in the hole in the store. How do you lose $3,000 when there's only cost of goods sold involved? How do you lose that? There's no overhead. There's no labor. There's no taxes. How do you lose $3,000? Well, I know how we're losing $3,000. The kids were walking out with product, and the manager were probably keeping most of the product in the trunk of their car when they were delivering product from where they bought it from McDonald Wholesale. So I did get a disaster, and none of those kids wanted to be there to learn marketing. Ten years later, after working with the students ten years, I was growing, they were growing, a young man by the name of Josh Pritchett became a national champion. He was the first. You know what's rather interesting? For 10 years, we were doing the same program, same program, but those kids didn't believe that they could do it because they were kids that came out of felony flats. That's what Willamette High School is called, felony flats. It's where they grow the felons. And so, well, that's what I was told when I got my job there. Hey, I'm teaching at Willamette. They go, felony flats? What? <laughs> Willamette High School. That's felony flats. Why? You'll find out. It's like, oh, great. See? Those kids believed that they could not achieve. But when Josh became a national champion 
and that was in 1991, in 10 years, we got 13 national champions because they saw Josh did it so I can do it too. And that's how it happened. Looking to the example of somebody who did it, if they did it, I can do it too. That's what this point number three is about. Let's finish it real quick. Look to great prophets uh, of Old Testament. Look to Job. They suffered. Did Job suffer? Horribly. Horribly he suffered. If you haven't read about Job, whoa. And that guy stayed faithful. You know, most people that would have happened to them, what happened to Job, all your kids get killed. Everything you own is taken from you. And God allows your wretched wife, who is awful, not like mine. Mine's beautiful and wonderful and sweet. But Job's wife was terrible. Why don't you just curse God and die? It's pretty obviously you're screwed up. That's pretty much what she said. Amen? Well, talk about bad hair day. Job <laughs> suffered horrible horrible suffering from trouble distress and affliction you know unfortunately job's the poster child on that poster the word patient there means steadfast constant in your perseverance job was that as well he had three buddies great buddies you must have done something you must be a dirt bag we know it because only god does bad things to dirtbags like you. You're a dirtbag. I think you are. And they were just accusing, accusing, accusing. It didn't go so well for them after Job stayed the course. God was not happy with his three friends. You can read it if you want. And then finally it says, look to the great prophets in Job because they endured. They endured bravely. They endured calmly. And they didn't break ranks with God. They didn't break ranks with serving the Lord. I'm going to stay the course. Brethren, you've heard, as I said before, people whining about hypocrites in the church. Well, yeah, there's going to be. There's going to be. But is that keeping you out of heaven? You're looking in the wrong direction. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Look to Job, the man who powered through. Look to Noah, 120 years preaching and teaching and building, and only his family got in the boat. Wow, that's powerful pictures. Look to the blessing of the Lord as well. You see those men and what they did, and look at the blessing that God visited on their lives. It's the same blessing he'll visit in your life. What does it say here in this passage of Scripture? Take a look. Look at verse 11. We count those blessed who endured, specifically Job and the prophets, you have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So look to the blessing of the Lord. Is it wrong to look to what God is going to give you if you remain faithful? That's not selfish. God actually is telling us, look to the blessings. Know that I am faithful. It's okay. Peter said, Lord, we left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? You're saying, well, that's kind of a selfish statement. No, it's not. They already left everything. And so Jesus told them, a hundredfold blessing in this life. Houses and farms and kids, moms and dads and, and the, oh, persecutions. I love that one. See? 
You lay it all down for Jesus and you're going to get blessed in this life and you're going to get eternity in the next. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a great you know, plan of investment. That's where the treasure ought to be. Finally, the word compassion there means, and I want you to look this one up, it means extreme inward and, and uh, inward affection and concern for you. Extreme. Talk about extreme hunting. Serious, extreme hunting. There is such a thing. Okay? You add the word extreme to anything, extreme motocross, extreme this, extreme that. That means that very few people do it and it's over the top. Extreme compassion, the inward affection and concern that God has for you. He's going to pull out all the stops when you endure. If you quit, no prize. Amen? Don't give up. Look at the last one, mercy. Tender mercy in uh, the King James. It means to feel and to act upon another with gracious concern. Again, it's just adding to that compassion. I don't know about you. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. You want to hear that? I want to hear that. Good and faithful servant. You endured until the end. I want you to be with me forever. And every blessing that you could ever dream of is nothing compared to what you're getting. That's absolutely the truth of God's word. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 if you don't believe me. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, mind has not conceived the things that God has for those who love him. I can't wait to see what he's got prepared for those who love him. Brethren, please understand, in the next few weeks as we finish up this series on perseverance, we're going to look to people that had horrific things happen to them, and I want to know how they did it. How did they do it? How did Job do it? We're going to look at Job next week. How did he do it? We're not going to look at all the nasty wife and the nasty friends. We might look at the physical things that happened and, and maybe just hear his wife be a little nasty. You know, go, man, what a sad situation. But then we're actually going to see what did he do for God to say, I'm going to bless you sevenfold because you are a man of faith. Why? How? I don't know about you. I want to know the how, and then I'm going to do it. How about you? That's what I'm hoping. That's what this is all about. Let's look at these great men and women of endurance and follow their example. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the blessing of your word. It's just tremendously powerful when you take the time to dig in and see what it's actually saying. Honestly, this passage, verse 7 uh, through uh, 11, or yeah, 11, was kind of a mystery to me. But as, as you work through it and you pray about it and you think about it and you mull over it and you do the Greek and then you look at the, the way it's put together, it really becomes so powerful. Help us then to look to the examples of other men and women, other human beings who remained faithful and endured really how they did it so that we can do the same thing. We ask this in Jesus. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org 
or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.